Holy Gospel according to Mark, the 10th chapter. As Jesus was setting out on a journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not defraud, honor your father and mother. He said to him, Teacher, I have kept all these since my youth. Jesus, looking at him, loved him, and said, You lack one thing. Go sell what you own, and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When he heard this, he was shocked and went away grieving, for he had many possessions. Then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were perplexed at these words, but Jesus said to them again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. They were greatly astounded and said to one another, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, For mortals it is impossible, but not for God. For God all things are possible. Peter began to say to him, Look, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I tell you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for my sake and for the sake of the good news who will not receive a hundredfold now in this age houses, brothers and sisters, mothers and children and fields with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. That many who are first will be last and the last will be first. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you, Lord Christ. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. So a man whose name we aren't told, but who we are told is rich, comes up to Jesus and says, Good teacher, what must I do? to inherit eternal life. Jesus replies, why do you call me good? No one is good but God. Jesus, before answering the question, with that kind of cryptic statement, nevertheless, I think, is saying that there's something just a little bit amiss about the question itself. The Lutheran in me thinks that the amissness in the question is found in the theological assumption beneath the question, that theological assumption being the assumption that inheriting eternal life is something someone does by doing enough good to become good enough to deserve such an inheritance. Jesus at this point, however, neither confirms nor denies that he agrees with the Lutheran in me's criticism of the question. Instead, he proceeds to respond to it at face value. The man wants to know what to do, 
as far as the goodness of God is concerned, and Jesus reminds him of the Bible's most well-known list of to-dos and to-don't-dos by rattling off a few of the Ten Commandments. Interestingly, though, the ones he cites are not any of the first commandments that explicitly have to do with your relationship with God. Rather, all the commandments Jesus responds with are actually from what is called the second table, the back half of the commandments, the ones that have to do with you and your relationship with other people. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and your mother, he says. Interesting and on purpose, I think. The man wants to know what are the important things to do when it comes to eternal life and an eternal relationship with God in heaven, and Jesus doesn't respond with any to-dos that are in any way explicitly religious because they are directed to God in heaven. He instead clicks off a summary of the commandments that have to do with the quality of the life you live in relation to other people here on earth. The man responds that yes, yes indeed, he knows the commandments and he has kept them. He says he has kept all of them ever since he was a child. Well. I am way too Lutheran to want to not take exception to that statement. I mean, like, seriously. So you are Mr. Good and Mr. Perfect? You've kept all of the commandments all of your life? Right. The Lutheran in me here, in other words, wants Jesus to roll his eyes right here. Jesus, who of course I know is Lutheran, <laughs> Nevertheless, doesn't roll his eyes here at the man's claim. He takes him at his word. You want to know why? Because this isn't yet one more of the countless times when someone comes to him with a question, but it's the question of a religious hypocrite who has made up a question to try to stump him or to make him look bad in front of an audience. No, this is a sincere man. And the question within his question is a sincere one too because he is by human standards he's a good man sincerely who has tried to live his life guided by what God says is good but he comes to Jesus now with a question because it just doesn't feel like it's enough What's sincerely going on here, I think, is that there's something missing in his life. Something he can't put his finger on. There's an emptiness of some sort in his soul, an emptiness which, as he's lived his life, he hasn't quite been able to figure out how to fill. And two, there's a less than confident side to the hope he has for life beyond this life, for an eternal life beyond this life. Good teacher, he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do to inherit eternal life? And here we can hear the audible symptom of the spiritual malady 
that is sincerely afflicting this sincerely good man who sincerely knows that something is missing in his life and in his hopes for eternal life. But he thinks that he himself is the place where the solution is to be found. If only I did something more, he said. And so, teacher, what must I do, he says. The fundamentally easiest thing about the Christian faith can also be the fundamentally hardest thing about the Christian faith, and that is that it isn't about coming to God with all that I've done. It isn't about coming to the Lord with all that I have. It's about coming not with, to the Lord with all that I've accomplished. It isn't about coming to the Lord with I've anything at all. Which is the direction Jesus is now going to take this conversation, but by way of getting there, remember, this is not just a man who is sincerely good. This is also a man who is seriously rich. And Jesus, the healer, the great physician, by way of treating the spiritual malady, which has, he has immediately diagnosed here, turns the conversation now from the man's sincere goodness to his serious richness. Because why? Because here's the problem. The problem which Jesus will soon point out is a particular problem for those who are rich, those who have almost anything at all that they want, is that the problem is that anything at all can clutter up our ability to come to the Lord and also for that matter to come to the deepest places in our own hearts with nothing at all. The problem, in other words, is not that people have riches, it's that people start to trust riches. It's not that we possess things, it's that things start to possess us. We don't own them, they start to own us, at which point life and happiness and peace and hope and even salvation are about us and things. And for the sincerely self-aware, that unfilled empty place within and an unending conviction that it could be filled if only I just one more thing if only I had one more thing if only I did one more thing if only I accomplished one more thing teacher what must I do teacher what must I do And Jesus, Mark says, looks at this man and he loves him. Got to notice that. Have to remember that because what he's about to say, I mean, you've already got a preview from the reading. What he's about to say is going to sound very extreme, very harsh. We need to remember that he says what he says, very much loving this man. So lovingly, he says to him, you lack just one thing. Go sell what you own and give the money to the poor and come follow me and you will have treasure in heaven. When he heard this, Mark writes, the man was shocked and went away grieving for he had many possessions. And Jesus then looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of heaven. 
It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Two questions have to be asked and answered if we're going to move forward in this text sincerely and not hypocritically. Question number one, if these words are spoken to the rich and about the rich, who are the rich? John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist Church, said that the definition of rich in the Bible is that you have everything you need, food, clothing, shelter, and such, you have everything you need, and then anything at all, more than that. If that's you, if that's me, then John Wesley says that the Bible says that we are rich. Well, I am glad I'm not a Methodist. <laughs> right? Oh, but darn it, there is still the Bible, right? And there's also the Daily News, right? With all the stories and all the pictures of the people who so don't have everything, or even barely anything, that they need, right? There's also the fact that, well, the fact that the truth is that there are a lot of things, and what I mean by things are things, that we go around thinking or saying that we need, and we truly and sincerely don't. Right? I do not say that by way of trying to make myself or all of you feel all kinds of guilty. I do say that by way of not wanting you or me to be guilty of thinking that in the Bible's way of thinking and Jesus' way of thinking, these words about rich people don't apply to most, if not all, of us people, because they do. And in so doing, they are very challenging words. Remember, remember, remember. It is love that is speaking these words. You lack one thing, Jesus said to the demand in today's text. Go sell what you have and give the money to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. And come and follow me. And when he heard this, the man was shocked. And went away grieving, for he had many things. And Jesus said to his disciples, how hard it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of heaven. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Which leads to question number two. How hard exactly is it for a camel to go through the eye of a needle? Kind of hard? Pretty darn hard? Incredibly hard? No, right? None of those things. How hard is it exactly for a camel to go through the eye of a needle? It is impossibly hard. It can't be done. 
And the disciples, who often did misunderstand things, did understand that. And so when Jesus said, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than for someone who's rich to enter the kingdom of God, they say, Mark says, they were greatly astounded. And then they said to one another, then who can be saved? And then Jesus said, for mortals, now that would be all of us, right? Unless you have some gods here. For mortals, the rich and the poor, for mortals, getting saved, Jesus says, is impossible. But for God, all things are possible. Ah, what do you know? We're back where we started. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Apparently is a flawed question. For I don't, I can't do my way to heaven. It's not about me, it's, it's about Jesus. It's not about you, it's about trusting all that Jesus has done and has promised and will do for you. This text about riches, it turns out, in other words, isn't, first of all, about money. It's about trust and it's about true riches. It becomes about money. Oh my goodness, does it ever become about money? Because money, stuff, is by and large the prime rival God has always had when it comes to winning the deepest trust of our hearts. If only I, we say, if only I had a little more, if only I made a little more, all I need is a little more. Sisters and brothers, you need Jesus. And you don't buy or earn or do your way to him. You take him at his word, trusting that he did all that he did to find his way all the way to you. And to your, spiritually speaking, not richness. And those who do that, those who know their emptiness, their need, their poverty, spiritually speaking, and take that to Jesus and place their trust in Jesus, one of the Bible's way of thinking, they, it turns out, are the truly rich. Remember how he said it in the Sermon on the Mount? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In other words, guess what? The rich, it turns out, are those who have the very most. But the very most is Jesus. Welcome him to your not richness. Go to him with your emptiness and he will fill you full. Place your deepest trust in anything else and you will end up empty. And you will end up being the one whose deepest spiritual question is ultimately the shallow and flawed question, what must I do? Okay, one last thing. If these words 
are really most deeply not about our money, but about trust. Which I believe they are. Can we breathe a sigh of relief because that stuff about selling what you have and giving to the poor doesn't need to be taken literally? Well, I want to tell you, I'm not sure how literally we're supposed to take those words. I'm, I'm positive, however, that even if this story is primarily about faith and spiritual poverty, dismissing what Jesus says here and elsewhere about money and things and material poverty is not the way to go because it isn't faithful. In our first reading for today, um, you heard the prophet Amos give the nation of Israel holy hell for going in that direction. So I'm not sure, frankly, how literally you and I are supposed to take Jesus' words here, but they aren't. They are not to be dismissed. At the very least, for those of us who are rich, they are words to be wrestled with, which I'm going to invite you to do later, sincerely, on your own. Well, invite Jesus. But do that wrestling, remembering three things. Number one, Jesus for you was generous with absolutely and literally everything he had. He gave everything he had all the way to a cross. Jesus was not a tither. Number two, one way to trust him more is to trust money less. And one way to trust money less is to part with more of it for the good of others. And number three, we most of us here do have everything we need, but some don't. Some don't have the things they need. Some don't have Jesus, whom they don't even know that they need. And money, some of which is money you currently have. In God's plan for things is one of the things a person can give and give up faithfully. And the most faithful even tell me joyfully to do something about that. Teacher, what must I do to inherit the riches of eternal life? That's a Jesus thing. Trust him with it. It is beyond you. But what can you do truly, richly to live? What does the Bible say? You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, which Jesus says is to say. If you want truly, richly to live, faithfully, joyfully, generously, love your neighbor. Amen.